Welcome everyone to the Sacred Hockey Mask. I am Peter and I'm joined by Shasha. Hello, I'm Lady Shasha, Mistress of the Snark, coming to you all the way from Orlando, Florida. That was a lot more intricate than Tim used to do. My, my. That, that was, <laughs> Tim, Tim would sort of grunt and maybe make a general <laughs> noise and maybe tip a hat or tell a very, very bad joke. That's that was that was that was like you've got a thing you've got a like a little yeah that's a, that's how I do it when uh, with um, <laughs> Crystal when we do coast to coast horror because she usually says she's coming to you from Seattle Washington and I'm coming from Orlando Florida that's why we named it coast to coast because we're literally on opposite coasts I uh, I don't disclose my location everyone knows where I am anyway but I don't disclose my location mm-hmm. because uh, well you know it's top secret and all the mm-hmm. rest of it I'm I'm just kidding. It's, it's obviously Scotland, all right. <laughs> anyway, this is a horror movie podcast. Uh, we get together, we talk about a horror movie that we watched. And of course, with Streams After Midnight, the other show that I do with Tim, which is on hiatus, with that not being actively recording, there was episodes going out over the last six months, but because it wasn't actively recording, there was a lot of new movies that we didn't get to. And we we're going to fill that void here on the Sacred Hockey Mask, starting with The Conjuring... The devil made me do it. And here's where I start my rant about movie <laughs> series that start having numbers for the sequels and then just decide suddenly to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. What, 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 why? 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 why all, you're too good for The Conjuring 3? You're too good for that? What, that's not... Come on! It's like our conversation about The Purge and I was trying to express that I was talking about the first Purge but not the the original purge. Because <laughs> you really want to say the first purge is the original purge. But then like the fourth one I think is called the first purge. And it's just very confusing when you're trying to describe to someone else what movie you're watching. There's almost a riddle there to 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 trick someone with what is the mm-hmm. first and the fourth of something or I don't know. Probably yes. not. Probably not. But anyway, we're gonna be conjuring three. Um this, you know, went straight to HBO Max and theaters at the same time. It is, you know, Lorraine and Ed Warren, the, uh, both the actors are back. Although we did see both of them in Annabelle 3 as well. So, I mean, uh, we had gotten a glimpse of them since Conjuring 2. But it had been quite some time. Conjuring 2 was 2016. There was a, mm-hmm. a five-year gap. Now, admittedly, it got delayed like a year because of the pandemic, but there was a five-year gap. But anyway, we'll start spoiler-free. I'll give you a warning before we move out to spoilers. So we'll have some general thoughts and... Just uh, impressions and things. Briefest of backstory here. Uh, enjoy Conjuring 1. S- was surprised that I like Conjuring 2 even more. And I basically to- tolerate one or two of the spin-offs, but mostly hate them. <laughs> Where do you stand uh, just you know, quickly on the, the oeuvre of the I, Conjuring-verse? I, I like the Conjuring 1 and 2. Um, I think that if I were... Me, at 13 years old, I would have liked The Nun and La Llorona also, but my adult mind is like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not very good. And the fact that this one is directed by Michael Chavez, who mm-hmm. was the director of The Curse of La Llorona, was not a good sign. I guess I'll say that the most positive thing that I'll say about my opinion on this movie is that I do think it's a better movie than Curse of La Llorona. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it i'll give it that you know exclamation but it is definitely the weakest of the three main films i think and 
It's not for the lack of concepts. I think there's some good concepts in this. There's some good ideas. Uh, execution's a little bit up and down. Pacing's a little bit up and down. Some things just go a little too hokey uh, for me, I think, in places. Uh, but not that there's not things to like. It's probably still better than... Yeah, all the spin-offs. <laughs> I don't think there's any, mm-hmm. any of the spin-offs that I would say are better than this one. So... I guess it keeps the hierarchy in place where the, the main Conjuring movies are better than all the other ones. Mm-hmm. Not everyone will probably agree with me on that, but uh, even this and its much, much weaker state is probably still better. Because even Annabelle Comes Home, which I would have probably said was the best of the spinoffs. Eh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I agree. What, what's your... What's, so what, what, how do you feel about this movie? What do you? What's your general sense? Um, I think it's fun enough. I was happy that I got to see it on HBO because I think if I paid movie theater prices to see this, I think I would be more disappointed. But for a direct-to-streaming, when you compare it to Netflix original movies or Shutter original movies, I think it holds up as far as its, its, comp- its streaming competition. But it's definitely um, not the best of the series. But it's rare to have a part three that is the best, especially in a horror series. Uh, I think you'll find Dream Warriors... Exists. Oh yes! Oh yeah! I own that. <laughs> yeah, I. It's, I mean, it's true. Part threes uh, tend to struggle a little bit, especially when the part twos seem to. And not everyone agrees with me, but two is better than one. There's, there's definitely a. There's, there's two camps to that. Mm-hmm. That fight. Well, there's some movies like Friday Thirteenth too. I'm sorry, I enjoy that one better than the first. I think most people really do. I don't know. Does anyone really stick up as the first Friday the 13th as being like one of the best I ones don't... in the series? I don't think so. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, don't I, think so I think most people probably like two, maybe three, four, six. Uh, I also mm-hmm. love eight, but you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, is that one Jason Takes Manhattan? That is Jason Takes Manhattan, yes. Yes, I enjoyed that one too. Uh, not a great movie. It's not high art, but I I have fun with it. The 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 boxing uh, kill, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. is uh, delightful. Yeah. So conjuring devil made me do it. The basic premise of this one, uh, and I will give it some points. I'll give it some points for trying to feel like it's a little bit different premise wise. Although it's one of these things where it it kind of veers away, or, or, or it's like it tries to set up this unique premise for it, which is the Warrens are trying to prove that someone is innocent of murder because they were possessed when they murdered someone and it wasn't really them and it's like okay that's a little bit different and what i kind of expected from this movie going into it was probably okay it's going to be like mostly after the fact and we're going to probably get a, like the, the main story is going to be told through flashback right we're going to like start to hear the case and we'll hear the, the arguments in court or whatever and maybe it'll go back and show us the the haunting and the possession and whatever uh and it didn't. It isn't really that at all. In fact, it it almost makes you think it's going to do that at one point because it, it goes back mm-hmm. to when the the family first moved in the house, and you thought, okay, so it's going to basically take the Conjuring style story but reframe it around like a here here's the accounts of the events for the in, in the context of a court case. Um, mm-hmm. But it never it never really goes down that path. It actually stays away from that uh, for the most part. Um, and it kind of gets a little bit murky where the Warrens are investigating something. And then there's other elements that come into it. Uh, I think it loses its focus a little bit, which is probably the biggest problem I have with it. Is that it kind of like it really makes you want to care about this 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 guy who's been accused of murder. But the movie kind I don't want to say it forgets he exists after a certain point, but he kind of mm-hmm. stops being someone we see a lot <laughs> at a certain point. Yeah. 
Uh, it becomes the Ed and Lorraine love story. And, I mean, we kind of got some of that in part two, but I think they overestimated the audience's interest in that aspect of their story. It's frustrating because I think it's the best part of the second one. I think it gave the second one a heart, this idea of like mm-hmm. them caring about each other and, and being worried that something might happen to the other. Like I, That did add a mm-hmm. bit of a heart to the second one. Where I, I cared maybe a bit more about them than I did the family, but the family were still very important for the the movie to work and as you know as them being there as like the heroes to save them kind of thing um this one it because it does it does does an okay job at the start of the movie where it makes you like arnie the guy who's accused of this it it gives you a little moment Mm -hmm. where he's with uh because he's 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 not engaged but he's like he's probably going to propose to you know his girlfriend and his girlfriend's Mm -hmm. little brother uh, this guest young kid he's the one who's who's possessed and there's a little moment where he shares with him where he's like, oh, he's actually like a really good sort of big brotherish style friend to this this little kid. Mm-hmm. And it sort of presents him as this sweet guy. He's kind of selfless a couple of times. It does a lot in the opening to make you care. And I think that's the, the right move. It's a smart move. If the whole movie's going to be about proving his innocence and making us care about him, then that's a good idea. But it was kind of weird to me that he kind of becomes a bit of an afterthought. What Once we start to investigate what's really going on, yeah, we cut to him occasionally as he's sitting in prison and there's a little bit of a stakes growing there with him, but it's it's not the focus in the way that it felt like it should have been. Um, at the very least, it felt like it should have been more equal to the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's, that's probably my biggest complaint. Because uh, I think there's some good scares. I think there's some bad scares that uh, felt a bit ropey to me. There's a couple that I'll point out when we get spoilers that are not bad, mm-hmm. though. I mean, how, how are you on the uh, the horror like, elements, the scary stuff, the... I think that Michael Chavez's timing isn't quite um, on the level of James Wan's timing. But I give him leeway because he is a fairly new director. It's my understanding that uh, La Llorona, or I'm sorry, The Curse of La Llorona, I should make that distinction because there were two movies that came out the same year with that title. And one, I believe, is a, a Mexican film that is a little bit more of a horror thriller. And that one is actually called uh, La Llorona. And the curse of, Yal- I can't say it, La Llorona is the one that Michael Chavez directed. And I believe it, it's, that was his first time directing. So this is actually only his second film. And if, if I'm correct and this is only his second film, I could see why his timing isn't quite up to James Wan's just yet. Because with some of the um, horror scares, especially the type of jump scares that are typical in the Conjuring movies, you have to get that timing just right. Yeah, Conjuring... If anything, James Wan's kind of an outlier just in general, and he's quite good at doing jump scares. Most movies that try jump yeah. scares aren't good at it. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's a reason why most horror fans come out of a movie that's just jump scares and go, oh, it was just a bunch of shitty jump scares. We don't... We don't mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that, 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 there was no... Whereas James Wan, it feels like he's he's having fun with it. It feels like he's being yes. playful with the audience, and he knows what he's doing, and he's like, oh, you're kind of waiting for it. And I'm not to say that there's no duds in Conjuring 1 or 2, but by and large, he he pulls most of them off and they're mostly fun mm-hmm. and you feel like you're on a ride and you don't feel like you're being salted with like ah gotcha kind of moments mm-hmm. and there's a couple of there's a couple of decent moments in this one i i think there's a couple that i'll point out uh when we get into the the, the firm details like i say i, I think it's it's, it's a little too because the movie is like almost two hours long which for a horror movie is, is a bit in the lengthy side and I would mm-hmm. say that, that it kind of does try to pack a little bit too much. Like, there's something that I'm staying away from for spoiler reasons, which is kind of the, the, one of the big core ideas of the movie, which I do actually think is a really cool idea. 
but I will say there's a lot of the execution that I, you know, it's it's always frustrating because I feel like people who don't talk about movies and why they like movies too much, uh, don't really do a great job of differing between the idea and then the execution of the idea because like you can like mm-hmm. the idea and then not like how they try and pull it off and that that can be why you don't like the movie. Um, to some people, oh, it has a thing, therefore it I like it because it has a thing, but. How mm-hmm. A is presented? Is it uppercase? Is it lowercase? This is a stupid analogy, but <laughs> like that—that is. No, I understand. I understand yeah. what you're saying. Uh, so that—that'll be something I get into. I mean, I suppose as far as spoiler-free stuff goes, you know, they—they they try and make it feel like a like a conjuring movie. I mean, I, I think. I mean, I don't imagine you have any complaints about uh, the leads in this because they're, they're playing the same roles. No, yeah. no, the the two leads. Um... It's Vera Formiga and uh, why am I drawing a blank on a gentleman's name? But they are always really good. The um, other characters, the young boy, um, the young man that that eventually uh, has to defend himself in court. They all did a very strong job. I think if I had a criticism, it's in some some of the writing. Sure. Um, I do like that they tried to um, lovingly pull from other movies there was a lot of homages that we'll talk about when it's time for spoilers that i think they did uh an okay job with kind of writing a love letter to um supernatural horror yeah uh i was also pleasantly surprised i wouldn't say who he's playing because it's a it's not not much of a spoiler but there's basically john noble pops up as a is a retired uh, priest at one point and uh, i like john i'm a big french fan so it was nice to see john noble uh pop up in there yeah i have no complaints with the with the cast i think vera formiga uh, i've always enjoyed her work i think she got a lot of shit after godzilla king of the monsters because her character in that was written like an absolute idiot mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's nice to see her uh sort of returning to this character again um it's and patrick wilson who you know plays ed yes he, that's that's the name yeah he he well, I mean, both of them carry a lot of a lot of these movies, and uh, you know they they add a sort of central gravitas to the whole thing, which without that weight in the center, uh, I think, because I think one of the most frustrating things about supernatural horror for me is when you have so many movies where characters who don't know anything about the subject, and and it can either feel forced when you introduce someone out of the blue halfway through the movie, he's like, "I'm an expert on this stuff. I'm going to tell you everything about it." Mm-hmm. That can feel forced. Uh, and it can feel very repetitive watching a lot of supernatural horror where you have the main characters who are just screaming wives and husbands and be like, I don't know what to do with my baby. I don't know what to do with my child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that The Conjuring has over these movies is because we focus on two characters who do this for a living. This is their their prime stuff. This is what they know. They're, they're experts in this. As, as experts as we can. It doesn't feel cheap that they, they, they know their stuff and it anchors it because we're not just following characters who are just clueless the whole time there's the, we've got characters who can make proactive decisions mm-hmm. and that's kind of a, a big thing that's missing from a lot of movies like this where they just feel helpless the whole time here oh yeah and yeah you know. they don't they don't waste the first half an hour of the movie with that one character who is skeptical about yes. everything that's happening the conjuring movies typically um i think only maybe in the first one maybe the first 10 minutes <laughs> there was one character that wasn't sure and then something happens that shows him that what's going on but they typically do not do that thing where they some supernatural movies will have one of one member of the uh 
marriage will be the you, person that doesn't believe usually, their spouse. Usually the husband. It's usually the wife yeah. seen some spooky shit and the husband doesn't believe it. And he'll be mm-hmm. doubting her the whole time. He'll come back from work and be like, what are you, what's, what's the crazy woman? You, you, you need mm-hmm. to go see the therapist. You, you, clearly, too much hard work. The kids are too much for you. you you're seeing shit. <laughs> and, then, mm-hmm. and then it's like, I know we're out of the movie before you finally, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's one of those tropes that, that persists. So I think just having a couple as a main, as a main duo who are both like paranormal investigators just really... Uh, I should even say paranormal investigators because I feel like paranormal. I mean, it is paranormal, but it, it feels kind of more scientific than their approach, which is a bit more, yeah. uh, I don't know, occult and uh, mm. demonic and religious. But uh, yeah, um, is there anything else I think we should say in spoiler-free stuff? Probably not. I think we're probably at the point where we're about to delve into the spoilers, so I'll give the spoiler warning here. Uh, full spoilers for The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And we will just start at the beginning, I guess, in terms of like talking about specific moments and things that we want to bring up. That all. Uh... So, I will say, I think the opening, the prologue section, I thought was quite strong. I actually... If anything, it lulled me into a false sense of security that, oh, maybe this is, maybe the reputation that I've heard about this isn't, isn't that warranted. This, this feels, get it, Warren's, Warren, warranted, I don't know, I wasn't even an intentional pun, I just, it, it clicked <laughs> in my head after I said it. Anyway, uh, mainly, for a couple of reasons, you know, it, it cuts straight into the house, the kids possessed, the, 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 the Warrens are there, they're trying to do the thing, and... Like I said, it shows you some moments where Arnie, who is the sister's boyfriend, tries to be nice to him, and Cooley's good friends with the kid, and is kind of selfless. But I thought there was a couple of nice horror moments here. There's uh, the kid, the way the kid contorts is uh, is a bit more extreme than most movies, but not so over the top with bad effects that it made me go, oh, this is stupid. Oh, I saw some behind-the-scenes footage, and they actually hired... Um, this young lady, she looked to be maybe a, a preteen, like a, a 11 oh, sure. to 13 years old. And she's an actual contortionist, so it wasn't CGI. They just hired a contortionist and they put, uh, they just superimposed his face over hers. That will be why it didn't look, uh, you know, cause I feel like I've, I've definitely seen other exorcism movies or whatever where mm-hmm. they'll do this, but they'll do it with CG and it'll just look mm-hmm. like shit. <laughs> you, you, you know it's fake it doesn't have like a, it doesn't get the feeling you want from it because it just looks mm-hmm. so artificial uh but clearly this worked because i actually thought the the contortion looked good uh, and i thought the moment a couple of moments with a kid in the bathroom as well where mm-hmm. uh like a demon's hands kind of looked like uh the rungs yeah, the, on the, the shower, shower rings yeah i thought i thought that looked uh pretty good it was nice and subtle until it started moving and it was like oh that was nice because it was always there so now i feel like oh that was always sitting there so it's a bit of a fun horror thing and then the way the kid kind of charges at the dad with a knife i thought was a neat neat little moment and i thought okay this is okay but this this is all the setup the setup is that arnie basically says to the kid take me instead let him go so again making his like him he's being selfless uh, of course, Ed Warren, who's just been knocked against the wall and is basically having a heart attack, <laughs> is like, no, no, don't be a fool. <laughs> You're much stronger I, than the kid. You'll do much worse, worse things. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I, actually, I actually laughed when the little kid charged him with a knife because for some reason, it kind of he kind of reminded me of Chucky because he's so little. <laughs> and, you know, he's running with a knife. It just made me think of child's play. It's, it's this funny thing where obviously the kid like might not have been the intended target of this curse mm-hmm. uh because well obviously he's much smaller he's not as strong as everyone else so they, they can kind of overpower him fairly easily 
Uh, mm-hmm. So as, as a demonic soldier, if you want to call him that, he's a bit mm-hmm. under par <laughs> as far yes. as what he can accomplish. But yeah, that, that's that, but this is just the setup because from here, Arnie's the one who's got the devil in him, effectively. Mm-hmm. And he ultimately ends up at killing, like, it's, the, it's, it's like his girlfriend's landlord slash boss. Uh, he basically sees you know him being evil when he's not he's you know he the, the 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 demon makes him see him attacking his girlfriend but he's not he's they're just kind of dancing and being stupid uh and it leads to him stabbing him a bunch of times that's kind of the setup do the sad part is about all this is that i really like that opening that opening prologue and i think it's one of the better just sort of pure sections of the film because it felt like there was not really much with it that i think is wrong i actually do think the structure of this film is wrong and it would, unfortunately, it would mean either losing this or not having it till much later. But part of me was thinking, mm-hmm. after he stabbed the uh, the boss, and he's like wandering down the road, and he's just kind of in like a zombie state, and he's carrying the knife, and he's got blood all over his shirt, and the 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 cop pulls up next to him, and like, and it kind of cuts from there. Part of me was thinking, especially when we got to the you know the movie got going, mm-hmm. and it became what it was going to become. I thought, why didn't we start there? Why didn't we start with just this really ominous shot of him walking down the road and then discover mm-hmm. what he's done in hindsight as yeah. we as we have them talk about it and like flashback to things. Again, and maybe it's just my expectations of expecting a movie like that, but they kind of do it a little bit where after he gets arrested and they ask that this sort of, we have to go we have to look at the case again. And I genuinely thought they were going to do a series of flashbacks going through the entire Mm-hmm. time that this family spent in the house but it ended up just being one little scene of, of the kid yeah. when he first goes in lies in the waterbed and and you know spooky stuff happens yeah we didn't we didn't really get to know the family very much at all and no. uh, what you were saying about the flashbacks and expecting it to be especially since it's centered around a court case i thought it would be a little bit more similar to the the structure of um uh it the possession of emily rose Oh, the exorcism, the of, I think, of Emily Rose. The exorcism Rose. of yeah. Emily Rose, where that was centered around a court case and then there was flashbacks to what happened initially. I thought the structure of this was going to be similar to that. It, when, it, when it flashed back to the scene, I genuinely thought, oh, this is where it's going to start doing this. Okay, that's cool, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to see, we're going to get all the hints and teases of like what, what led to what we saw mm-hmm. at the start. Uh, but it didn't turn out to be that at all. It just it led to them finding this, you know, demonic, like, uh, not totem. Totem, yeah, it's you know like a charm or like a demonic charm that was left under the house, which is someone's put there to curse someone in the house. This is so, it's a satanist, it's a, and conceptually, I do kind of love this. I love the idea that there's a human villain behind what's mm-hmm. going on in this because that's very different from the first two. That's a very unique thing to add into this con. The idea that there's almost a villainous version of the Warrens out there who is mm-hmm. using this for their own gain, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I think the sad part of this is that I don't think the actual villain herself was that compelling. And yeah. I mean, just to skip ahead here a little bit, but her turn out to be the daughter of a character that we met once halfway throughout the film felt really convoluted and lackluster to me. I don't know about you. I mean, how did you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought it was just kind of like an easy cheat, but also I, I don't know whether James Wan wrote this. I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure who the writer of Contra t- is. I can tell you. Uh, uh, he gets a story by credit, but he didn't write the screenplay. Okay. I do like how in James Wan's movies that there's um, a lot of times it's a female villain, whether it's Mary Shaw from Dead Silence 
or uh, the the woman that I think she turned out to be a witch in. Um, oh, why am I drawing a blank? Insidious. Insidious. Yes, Insidious. <laughs> with the black with the black uh, outfit on. Um, the nun. I just I love how he brings us like these these female antagonists. And she was another one, but although she did kind of remind me of Mary Shaw in her the way she presented herself. So I feel like a, a skinny older woman woman must have scared James Wan when he was a child. He, 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 had, a, <laughs> he had a horrible experience as a child, where some, so especially yeah. it was probably someone in a sort of old timey dress, and she's really scrawny, yes. and she scared the shit out of him. Uh, yeah. and, yes, that's, that's probably a good guess. Actually, he probably had a, had a nasty experience with some some old woman. Um, I think when she because the first time we see her a couple of times, it's actually we don't know what she is yet, and it's just that uh, Arnie sees her in a ghostly kind of way a couple of times, where he sees her like behind him or at the window when he drops a chainsaw, it almost hits someone. Which don't tease, don't cheese me a chainsaw landed on someone movie, and then don't give it <laughs> give it to me. How dare you? But this was this was the first time in the movie where I felt oh that was that was that was kind of bad. Like there's, 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 a, there's like a scare moment. Like when he turns around and he sees this woman staring at him, I thought. Ah, oh, that was a bit weak. I don't know. Because I, I like the idea of this being like an arch nemesis for particularly Lorraine. Uh, because mm-hmm. Ed in this movie, because of the heart attack at the start, he's kind of weak. He's got a walking stick. And he's constantly, you know, we're, we're constantly reminded that he's got a bad heart now and he needs to take his medication. Mm-hmm. and he, So he's kind of the one that's at risk. So it kind of makes Lorraine the one, because he, he's he's always hesitant to let her do the thing where she goes and touches something to like get the psychic mm-hmm. vision or whatever, but he ultimately always lets her, but he's always hesitant. He's always a little bit worried for his wife. But of course, the the spin on it is that now he's physically weak. He's physically incapacitated and she's the one who kind of has to take charge. So the idea of giving her an arch nemesis who is going to go after Ed, because it is going to be this kind of, you know, because I think that's the, cause the, the part of the movie where Basically, she cyclically connects with one of the bodies that was previously a victim of this woman, and mm-hmm. she kind of has a conversation with her through this psychic connection. I thought, I like this conception. I love this idea. I love the idea that now they have the Satanist attention, and now they're going to be arch rivals. And that's indeed what happens. She sends a totem to them, and Ed almost kills Lorraine at one point. And that's mm-hmm. a really fun idea. Um, it almost just feels though, by the time we get to this point, that it's forgotten about Arnie. By this point in the movie, Arnie's like, oh, he's back at the prison. He's he's maybe he's he, he's almost getting possessed to kill himself a couple of times. But it it really is nothing. It's like off to the side where you, you don't. And it did such a, a hard job at the start of trying to make us care about him that it just didn't feel like it, was, it was almost like it was just like banking on his like caring about him for the rest of the movie. But you kind of have to keep you know keep him feeling important. And I don't think was, they did. There was some scare scenes that I think uh, came off as more comic than scary. Like when he was in the prison and that one patient, or not patient, prisoner, sits up and starts singing Call Me. And <laughs> I'm sure that was meant to be very scary, <laughs> but I, the way he sang Call Me, it made me giggle. Joey, he looked like, actually. Uh, he looked what? like Sean Bean with long hair to me, that prisoner. Mm-hmm. I got Sean Bean yeah. with long hair. <laughs> but not, not that Sean Bean's never had long hair in a movie or anything, but they look like Sean Bean with long hair. Um, yeah, I, that, I... Unfortunately, conceptually, I loved it. Because there's a couple of scares I like. So the, the, the way the movie flows is they start investigating the case. Uh, there's a funny line with uh, the, the defense attorney who doesn't want to like bring in possession or the, the devil into the, the, the court mm-hmm. case. 
and Ed says, look, why don't you come over for dinner, and if we can prove to you that any of this is real, you know, come over, see your room, meet Annabelle, and it does this, mm-hmm. and this is something that they can only do because it's the third movie, and they've established all this, but when she says, okay, let's see what you've got, and it just cuts to her in court, pleading that the devil made them do it, <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it's funny, it's a funny cut, because you, you get, okay, we, we know what it's like for people to see inside that room, and we see, you know, we've, we've seen Annabelle, we know all that stuff. That's cool. But they end up um, going to a police station where there's been some missing girls uh, that, and they found one of these totems nearby and the Warrens have to prove that Lorraine can help, that she has got some psychic powers. The detective's reluctant, but it takes her out. And there's, there's a couple of jokes where she, like, guesses something or says, you missed a turn, it's back that way. And he's like, what? That's spooky shit. Like, you know, he's... But they go out and she sort of plays out and it turns out that the one girl murdered the other one who was her best friend or possibly even her girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, actually sure if it was a romantic relationship or not, but um, and she kind of plays through it and she almost runs off a cliff which that felt a bit hokey to me. It was just like, yeah, let's have some danger where she almost runs off a cliff. Um, but they go to the, the morgue, right? Because Lorraine has this idea. She has this idea that if she can touch the body that they found, because she's basically psychically discovered where this body is and the police have been looking for mm-hmm. it. If she can touch the body, maybe that psychic connection to the to the Satanist is still there. So they break into the morgue, they go and touch her. And there's a, I thought there was actually a fun scare here where mm-hmm. one of the other bodies is is basically brought up to life as a, as a sort of zombie figure uh, from mm-hmm. the Satanist to attack Ed. Because Lorraine's like in a trance. She's like, you know, tethered to the body and she's talking to the satanist and they're doing the you know it's, it's basically loki and tony stark you know i've got a hulk they're, they're doing that scene mm-hmm. in the context of the conjuring um but ed's like running away but we know he's got a bad heart so he's kind of hobbling and he's falling over and he's, he's he's breathing heavily i thought one of the things that i think a lot of modern horror movies struggle to do is let silence be be the tool they they, they, they overdo it with the noise and i think the way this like this it's a really you know Let's just call him. He's a fat guy, right? That's this fat corpse. Mm-hmm. But the way this fat corpse is in like silhouette in the darkness, and there's like no music, it's just like a ticking of the clock you hear as Ed's looking mm-hmm. at him. It's effective because it's a simple shape. It's something. It's something more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's it's less supernatural. I mean, even it's a super. Don't we know? It's supernatural that there's a body's gotten up. But in the previous Conjuring movies, it's not like, you know, we had spooky demons and spirits who would do things. We'd see the crooked man or the mm-hmm. nun, but they were all ghosts or something akin to a ghost or a demon. Mm-hmm. This is a physical body that has been brought up and standing in front of him, and it's in your face. It's more obtuse. It's more there invasive. It's affecting the laws of the real world. And I thought that was an effective moment in itself. I didn't think it was effective later on when he showed up again at the house. I thought that kind of Mm-hmm. We can do that a little bit, but and speaking of sound, the footsteps of of that uh, cadaver running towards them was also very effective. I was listening mm. to it in surround sound, and you can hear the footsteps started in the back speakers, and yeah. you could hear them switch from the back speakers to the front speakers as he's you know running around and getting closer to Lorraine. I thought that was really good sound design. Yeah, the sound mix and the music as well does feel you know probably on par with the, the previous movies uh sadly it's the sort of thing that it can't save the the script it can't save the ideas but it, it does help a few of the moments in particular mm-hmm. uh, i think uh so no i, I really I, I thought that moment was good i, I like the idea of this it's just unfortunate the actual character herself the villain 
I th I found very underwhelming, especially when it turned out to just be John Noble's daughter, who was this priest mm -hmm. who used to, you know, basically hunt down all the stuff the the, the Warrens do. Uh, but his daughter became like fascinated by it when she was growing up, and then eventually. Mm -hmm. Because it does that thing where they're trying to figure out who, who sent the thing, who sent the totem to our house and almost made me kill my wife. And it's like, well, when Lorraine was in the vision with the with the woman, she heard some water and she heard some train tracks or something. And basically he realizes this could be that guy's house because when they visited him, he's right next to the water. This is where he is, blah, blah, blah. And Lorraine goes out. And it turns out this guy himself is not evil. Uh, he, he wasn't forthcoming about his daughter because he's obviously very conflicted about it. But... Uh, in fact, his daughter kills him. His daughter shows up and murders him, like right after he mm -hmm. lets Lorraine into the the secret underground religious tunnel system that exists. <laughs> I actually like I like that they included the tunnels because um, a, a lot of people don't know this, but in the United States we do have those tunnels. They're all over in different states, and they're no longer used, but they're like hundreds of years old. I don't know what their initial purpose was, aside from uh, you know the, their were some that are specifically the Underground Railroad, where you know um, slaves that were escaping Southern states and trying to make it to the North or to Canada would use them. But there's others that they didn't even know about that predate that. They go back to like when there was only natives here. So there, it's a very interesting thing that we don't see these tunnels in more horror movies because we have mm. them all over the country. That's uh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know about that. I, I kind of rolled my eyes at this a little bit and said this is all about Hollywood. But fair enough. If, it, if it's a thing that actually exists, <laughs> I won't. It, oh. I, I think there was just there was a couple of moments where they were going through the tunnels and there was like books stacked everywhere and there was all this religious iconography. And I thought, yeah, that stuff is added. Uh, yeah, <laughs> those that, tunnels are just empty. <laughs> okay, in, in that case, I don't feel so bad then for rolling my eyes because it felt really designed and really like because the the way they explain it in the movie, John Noble says that. Oh, this is where they sent all of the, the spooky shit that they didn't know what to do with. <laughs> they just hide it in these in this like cavern that we've got under the under the house. <laughs> and I will give the conjuring and the conjuring three um points for authenticity for how, how it feels. Because I'm I'm from Connecticut. I'm from the state where this takes place. And they did a great job of giving you that Connecticut feel. The houses look like Connecticut houses, the landscape looks like Connecticut. I I thought they did a really good job because sometimes they'll say they're in Connecticut, but it really feels very Toronto or upstate New York. Mm. In this one, I, I think they captured how Connecticut felt, Well, I, especially since I grew up in Connecticut in the 80s, and this takes place in 1981. My one um, criticism as far as the filmmaking specs are is the muted colors. I don't like when they try to do a period piece and they mute the colors. I for some reason, I think psychologically it makes it feel like it's an older movie, but then you go back and you watch something from 1981, and it's very vibrant looking. The colors are not, it's not sepia. It's, it's, it's actually more <laughs> colorful. I mean, the, the comparison yeah. I would bring up is Star Trek. You go back and look at the original Star Trek, and everyone's in primary oh, yes. colors. And then you look at the movies, and it's like everyone's in the grays. and Well, not all of them. I mean, they, they switched to yeah. red, but like they went for more... No, I agree. They, 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 I think it's because we associate black and white with old, so they they, mm -hmm. they, they, they drain the color a little bit because it makes sense. In our heads, you know, it's a bit more mm -hmm. sepia, so it feels a bit older, but in actual fact, movies or, or clothes were far more colorful, at least. Yeah. And those, obviously, oh, I mean, oh. everything. I mean, obviously, obviously, the trees and skin tones were all as colorful yeah. as they always have been, which mm -hmm. also is affected by this, not just clothes, but the clothes are the thing that stick out because the clothes are the things that are actually wear more colorful in real life 
than mm-hmm. they probably are now. I mean, not no one wears colourful clothes now, but they stand out a bit more now, I think. When someone walks down the street in a bright yellow and red tracksuit, it's like, they stick out. They, they, they've got yes. gojonas on them because they feel like they want to make a statement with that outfit. <laughs> a great comparison would be this movie takes place in 1981. Poltergeist was released in 1981. And look at how, how colourful and vibrant Poltergeist is. Yeah. Um... I think that's fair. I think one of the, one of the funny things because you, you brought up the authenticity of it feeling like the right state uh, mm-hmm. and into a point in time period is that that's actually one of the things that uh, myself and Tim, well, more me because obviously Tim, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think Tim's ever visited the UK, but I I made sort of a similar I made a similar statement about Conjuring Two was that. I mean, I, I've never been to specifically the area that the that's in that movie, but the UK is pretty similar you know in all the other urban areas uh you know for the most part and i think one of the things that was really stuck out to me in conjuring too is that the house looked like a british house it looked like a you know because i'm so used to like horror movies with like ghosts especially and demons it's always mm-hmm. in a big single family house that no one can afford these days mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe in 1981 sure but not today and this felt like no this this feels like a, a bit more cramped it feels more like a like half of a, a conjoined house in the uk mm-hmm. it felt like a really unique setting for a horror movie on top of just being a little more authentic what's funny is i tend to associate the uk with having a fairly drab color palette mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe because it's just not as sunny as often so i tend to associate it with mm-hmm. a lot more just dull looking things so maybe the uh the color scheme that almost slightly wet looking like palette <laughs> works you know what that now movie. that you say that i might have to take back my muted color thing because oh? I've been I've been in Florida for ten years, and ah. everything is very bright and sunny here. Connecticut has a very similar um, weather to ah, yeah, yeah. well, that's why it's called Southern New England. Yeah, <laughs> because in addition to everything being named similarly, like we have New Britain, New London, we also have Manchester. So that's why they call it New England. I can't but I can't I very... can't believe you listed all those and didn't say New York. Oh yeah, well that's <laughs> not New York is technically not New England. <laughs> well, New no, York but, is, is, yeah. but there's a York and then yeah there is New a York, York and it's a New York yeah, <laughs> yeah. but the the um the weather in Connecticut is would be more similar to England it's very rainy it's not as bright it's not as sunny mm. and except for maybe two months of the year we get bright and sunny and the rest of the year it is kind of gray the sky is literally grayer in Connecticut than it is in Florida Florida the sky is super blue yeah. And I, since I've been here for ten years, I forgot about the gray skies of Connecticut. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm just remembering. I was, I was wanting to introduce you as a genuine Florida woman, and I forgot to do it. Yeah, Damn, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to hold transplant. that. <laughs> I'm going to hold that for next time. Don't mm-hmm. you worry. There'll be Florida woman jokes happening, people. I mm-hmm. make no mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole i, I just I, I love after because florida man became a thing and then florida women get tacked mm-hmm. onto it and then at one point i saw florida teen as a headline and went there's a whole there's a whole family of like really messed up yes. superheroes uh this is this is very impressive anyway uh, so no i think because the, the core of the end of the movie is that ed once again is being possessed because he's been cursed right by this point mm-hmm. and the whole the whole like tether of the movie that's going to make us care is that Lorraine is going to break through to him and the power of their love is going to stop him out of it enough to A, not kill her, but B, destroy the altar, which, I mean, it's a simple fix. I mean, when, when they say, all you have to do is destroy the altar and it'll break all of her curses. 
Like, it's a little easy, that part. Like, it feels a little bit simple, but I'm not saying it should be more complicated than that, especially given everything else. Uh, I think, again, conceptually, I think that's fine, especially since we do care about those two characters. I think those were, they were the heart of the second film. I think it makes sense to kind of make that be part of it. Uh, I, I just kind of wish that it, it felt like Arnie was still as important by that point in the movie mm-hmm. and not just... I mean, yeah, he's at the the, pres- the, the, the prison and he's he's kind of, like, floating and, like, his, his girlfriend's having to, like, hold his hand with this holding a piece of glass to stop him from killing mm-hmm. himself. And like, they're, they're doing stuff with him, but it, it definitely feels more like the subplot. But once, once we get past the first half hour, he's subplot man. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's Ed and Lorraine. And I'm okay to stay with them because they are the heart of the movie. They are the stars of the movie. They are the, the main part of the movie. Uh, I, I guess I just wasn't expecting it to be them investigating things in present days much as a, as I was. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah. And you add that with maybe, like, because there's more of a focus on that part of things, you've got a villain that I think's a bit weak, and then, of course, you've got, like, the Arnie stuff's not as focused on as enough as it should be. It all feels a little disjointed compared to the others, and it feels a little bit less whole and satisfying than the others even though i think there's individual scenes throughout there's a lot of ids i like throughout the film mm-hmm. but it's definitely i, I think you can tell I, I think you can tell i mean i think the story ids are still good because as i said earlier james wan still credited as like story by but he didn't write the screenplay mm-hmm. and i think him not being the one who actually guides the actual screenplay and then actually directs the movie i think all the differences we're seeing are from that Michael Chavez at least proved that when he's given some ideas, some of them will turn out okay with him directing. Mm. Unlike La Llorona, where all of it was just terrible, and I hated like every second. It was boring. It was a dull, boring mess. Uh, I like the scene with the swimming pool and the umbrella. I thought that was executed well. I thought that was cute. I'd love to tell you I remembered it. Because <laughs> <laughs> so the little girl had the umbrella, and every time she put it forward, she could see La Llorona, but then when she put the umbrella back up, she couldn't see her. It was, oh, a, okay. it was a nice jump scare. I like that one. Okay, I vague, that creative. sounds vaguely familiar. Now that you're you're saying that, okay, I, I like I watch a lot of horror movies. Okay, they they can't mm-hmm. all they can't all rest in my brain. Uh, some of them have speaking, to move on. Speaking of lots of horror movies, let's talk about the homages. Oh sure, the sure, yeah. Movie well. opens with the with that that beautiful exorcist homage where the priest is getting out of the taxi and he pauses in front of the house yeah just yeah. long enough to set up that similar shot the silhouette when he gets, yeah yeah when he gets in the house he turns into the priest from amityville or was it amityville too which whichever amityville where the priest was in the bathroom with all the flies he kind of reminded me in his movement and how he, he spoke of that priest from amityville uh, and then Maybe you'll tell me, uh, but I I felt like the when the kids lying on the waterbed in the flashback and the face kind of comes oh. up from underneath, that reminded me of something, but I couldn't have told you what. Nightmare on Elm Street Four. That's how Joey Joey was You're... on the uh, on the waterbed and he sees the lady in the water, and then the lady turns into Freddy and gets him. I wonder if this one because the Exorcist one is definitely intent. There's no way that Exorcist homage is not a hundred percent intentional. The this waterbed one like. If if they tell me they're that Nightmare on Elm Street four fans and this was a fun little like throwback, mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, that's cool. But I can also believe this is just something similar that makes us because th- there's only so many what you know killer or spooky thing comes out of the water in the waterbed and mm-hmm. grabs someone. But 
you're you're right. That is what it made me think of. I, I think I was thinking Nightmare on Elm Street anyway because there's a face coming out and the hands coming. Because I think I didn't like it as much when you could see the face underneath. Yeah. But I liked the first part where the hand was making just like you could see like a yes. like a lump come up. That to me was a bit more effective. It's, it's I think for me Supernatural, it's when it gets too overt and it's too like in your face, it starts to lose its mm-hmm. its charm a little bit. I think when it's just something simple, something simple and oh, subtle. Yeah. One of the scariest moments in The Conjuring, the original Conjuring, is when a little girl is sitting on the bed and she's talking about seeing someone behind the door. Mm. And we, the audience, we can't see anything behind the door, but it's so creepy because you're anticipating what is it that's behind the door? What is it that you're going to see? That was executed so well. Actually, I will say one of the things that this does have, not consistently, but there are some moments that reminded me of The Conjuring 1 and 2 in terms of... Because Conjuring 1 and 2 are very good, and that's a good example you just gave, of letting, just like, you you, you kind of like tease an idea, and you have mm-hmm. a character just kind of like sit there waiting. And it, it being like an effective little wait, because you're kind of like also waiting with them, like, oh, is something about to happen? Is something about to happen? You're kind of waiting for it to do the pinty drop. And I think there's a couple of moments in this movie, but the kid in the waterbed's kind of one of them, because when he first feels something, he kind of sits up and he just looks around. Mm-hmm. And there's a good, you know, it gives it a good 10 seconds of him just looking around mm-hmm. and that felt like a conjuring movie to me as opposed to just you know curse of la Llorona. like so mm-hmm. i do actually think michael chavez well i do think he is much weaker than james Wan, and I, I i don't think he's he's a great director i do think he at least tried to emulate what conjuring mm-hmm. one and two was supposed to feel like you can tell it's an emulation you can tell it's not james Wan, but there mm-hmm. are moments where he's clearly trying so i can't i can't i can't fault him for effort at the very least i think he has potential I think he has potential because he's, like I said, he's so early in his film career. And they've, they really have given him a lot to work with to be this new of a director. Yeah. Um, it was probably cheap, let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's why he got the job. <laughs> <laughs> you're new, which means you're cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll pay you, we'll pay you $500. Is that, is that enough? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it's just really not people <laughs> just, do you think do you think when um ed was uh possessed and he had the axe that that was a nod to the shining i, I can see that a lot, especially since those tunnels were very maze-like as well mm-hmm. uh I, I will say i think that's when the cinematography kind of fell apart a little bit for me was when they were running through the tunnel I, I you know one of the big things with action of any kind and this includes horror is that geography is so important this is this is the thing that i always love to bring up is that i need to understand at any given point where one character is in relation to another character i need to understand distance i need to understand all these things and it became a bit too erratic at that point which i get is intentional i just don't think i like it as a technique i think it's a, a technique that doesn't really work as well again because there's a time and place for everything there absolutely is but it got a little too like like, I wish I always got the sense of, like, where they both were in these tunnels or how close he was to her. Uh, it kind of just felt like he was just always right behind her, uh, as opposed to there being any kind of, like, real... You know, when you watch The Shining, there's a real game of cat and mouse with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a bit of cat and mouse in here. There's obviously some stuff with Lorraine fighting uh, evil satanic lady, <laughs> whose name I do not remember. Um, and that, that, it's, it's fine. It, you know, I, I think... I like the idea of the love being the stuff that breaks them, like breaks Ed out of it enough to like fight back and break the curse. That conceptually, I think, solid. Um, the actual like chasing around and not not just Ed and Lorraine, but also evil women and Lorraine and everything else going mm-hmm. down there. 
it, it just felt a little bit sloppy to me to the point where I couldn't enjoy it and like get like a clear like beat to beat to beat sequence out of it. Uh, so I, I wasn't as into I agree. that section as much, but yeah, which is a shame because you know because it, it ends in the, you know the romantic moment where he Ed buys the the gazebo the. Mm-hmm. They they fell in love under. They, 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 they was in the rain and they had their first kiss when they were teenagers. And notably, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure that was uh, Tassie Formiga, her little sister, playing her younger self. Oh yes, yes, yes. Which is a little I bit. I didn't even notice. <laughs> Which... Yeah, that makes perfect sense to do that. However, it is a little bit funny because it's in the same universe as the nun. They were also trying. Yeah. To, they were trying to hide her face a little bit because, they're like, well, we can't we can't imply that she's the same character that was in the nun. So we have to, like, mm-hmm. you know, so she's got the kind of the old school, yeah, like fifties. Yeah, given that it's the eighties, yeah, fifties here. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, like, the, so they're, they're, they weren't being too overt with her face for the most part, I think, because they didn't want people to go, wait, is she related to? And she is in real life. That's her sister, but like not mm-hmm. in the not in the movies. So, um, yeah. Uh, for a long time, I thought they were mother and daughter, which is no no, no offense to uh, mm-hmm. Vera, but there's a big age gap. <laughs> there's a bigger oh, yeah. age gap than I would expect between siblings. Yeah, I was I was saying that um, to my younger sister because we're similar. Um, Vera Formiga is in her 40s and Thais is in her 20s, and I have the same age gap with my youngest sister. Oh, she really? was a kind of a she was a we didn't know we could still do that baby. <laughs> 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 so, so I, I mean, I was literally in college when she was born. And I wondered at the time when she when she was born, is she going to see me like I'm her sister or aunt? No, she sees me like I'm her sister. We have like the same same type of relationship. Any other older sister, younger sister. It's just um, she's part of a different generation. She's millennial. So so we have certain things that that we connect on or other things I might have to ask her. Well, what what does that what does that mean for your generation versus for my generation? Because we might have different uh ways of looking at stuff but what's great is she's very good at expressing herself and explaining so uh, i think that's kind of cool when you have when you have a large spread for um or generational spread with your siblings it actually helps you interact with other people because you're already used to acting or interacting with someone from a, a different generation I hope well, that made sense i feel like i just went on a ramble no, that no, made no it, sense, it, made, it, made, it made sense it made sense <laughs> For the record, I am a millennial. I'm in your younger mm-hmm. sister's generation, so yes, uh, yes. That's that's it for the old jokes this episode, but they're coming. Yeah, they're, gonna, they're creeping up. They're creeping up. Oh, I, I, from from what I hear from Generation Z, you guys are already old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they said yeah. that you. With your skinny jeans, and I forgot what's the other thing that bothers them about millennials, but... <laughs> oh, I was the first skinny jeans guy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was the opposite. I had jeans that were far too baggy uh, mm. that anyone should be wearing when I was a certain age. Uh, <laughs> what's funny, though, I, I don't really see much from the, the, the Zoomer generation, mm-hmm. right? But the one thing I did saw with them making fun of millennials, which I actually, like, I side with them, because I, like, I'm of the generation that should love this, right? But mm-hmm. I was never. I was. I'm not a Harry Potter guy. I never cared about it when it was yes. coming out. But my generation was all about Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. So when I saw a Zoomer meme making fun of millennials, when millennials be like, "Oh, what house are you in, Gryffindor? Are you, are you, uh, <laughs> you know, Hufflepuff or or whatever?" Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I- I'm down with the kids because I-, I hate this mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I hated this the entire time. I had to hear it in my own generation. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, yes. So, I, I don't know what point is that, but, um, <laughs> yes. 
Millennials have their faults. I, I, I ain't denying it. Um, <laughs> Harry Potter being the main one. Um, mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's basically the movie. Um, I don't... You know, I mean, I think it's... I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to say to myself if Ed's heart troubles are necessary in the movie. Like, do they amount to much outside of him having to just kind of let her? There's a, there's a couple of times in the movie where he has to let her go down the stairs into the basement on her own because he can't really take a flight of stairs, mm-hmm. uh, and it gives her maybe a bit of tension there. But other than that, I don't know if it really like. I don't know if I ever got the the real idea that he might have a heart attack because he's pushing himself to. I don't know if I ever quite got that. I think they might be setting up for future movies well, because, maybe. as we know, in, in in real life, uh, Lorraine outlives him, so they might be planning to actually have him pass away in a movie and then continue her story of what she did after that point. But they had to set up him having these heart problems so that it wouldn't come out of the blue when he does uh pass away that way yeah although that's I'm, the only that's the only sense i can make of it i mean i i, I mean I, I am very i'm very cynical about how much of any of what is supposed to be true in these movies actually being you know mm-hmm. yeah i buy they went to a house i buy they spoke to some people <laughs> but most of the movie i am i'm pretty sure is is you know a movie <laughs> yeah Hollywood. i have to dram- dramatize things because um, even when you watch like what's considered ghost hunting videos on YouTube, they're never as interesting as dramatizations of ghost hunting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that's one of your uh, uh, boomer generation things is the the investigation shows. You watch a lot of crime scene investigation and... <laughs> did you just call me a boomer? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm Generation X. Boomer is the one before us. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I skipped skipped the generation. Yeah, they're the ones that told us that um, we we will never... They said that we act like we don't ever want to grow up because we are determined to wear sneakers to work. Mm. Um, And also that um, we do childish things like have uh, collectibles. Yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) That's childish to boomers. But to Generation X... Apologies. Generation X is... is I'm convinced it was a Generation X person that came up with those Funko Pops. <laughs> the Funko Pops with the little little square heads, that's us. We we like stuff like that. I, I don't personally like Funko Pops, I, so I have to get on my generation about that. I don't like them at all. That's why you don't see any here, but... I hate Funko Pops. They, <laughs> they are... They are the bait. Like, it's a thing where people assume because I'm a nerd, I'm going to like a Funko Pop. I said, no, yeah. I don't want. I don't want a Funko. They look stupid. They're stupid. They're, yeah, look, they're for the I big don't heads. Like them at all. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, Conjuring Devil made me do it. Is I don't think I don't think it's like a train wreck. I don't think it's like a super bad movie, but I don't think it's a good movie necessarily. I, I think it's a flawed movie that sort of works out in kind of a Middle East territory. But I would probably still say kind of squeaks above the rest of the the spinoffs, like all the spinoffs. Like I, I still think it's above those. Um, I think it's more rewatchable. Like I, I think I'd be more likely to rewatch this than I would be to rewatch the Nun or La Llorona. Do you know I think? I think part of that. One, I, th- I do think it's generally better than those two. But I think part mm-hmm. of it is because you at least have these two characters at the center of it who you do care about from the other movies, who are still played and performed 
with the same mm-hmm. you know level of skill and you still you still feel like you're watching ed and lorraine warren that you've met in these movies like doing good on mm-hmm. you know it's, it's like any kind of weak sequel of a franchise where okay it's not that great but I, you know, when I'm doing the trilogy watch, I'm still going to watch it. You know, if, if there's a fourth mm-hmm. one and, I, and maybe the fourth one's great, I'm still going to, I'm not going to skip the third one to watch the fourth one. I'll watch all four. It's fine, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that's kind of the vibe I get from this. That it's, you know, it's not great. It's not the best thing ever, but I'm not necessarily like super bummed out that it's not the best thing ever either. Like, I'm not like angry at it the same way that I was with most of the spinoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I, I guess I will ask the question, uh, what would you rate The Conjuring, The Devil uh, Made Me Two out of 10? I would give it a 6, because I was not, I was never really bored by it. So I would say, execution-wise, it's a great-looking film, it's a great-sounding film. My issue is with some of the writing. Sure. Yeah, I think... Um... I, I would say a little more creativity in the execution, particularly how the the, the probably just the narrative structure and how mm-hmm. the direction kind of plays around with some of that, and maybe also keep Arnie more of a central focus. Even though I do like the focus on the the main couple, mm-hmm. uh, those are my main critiques. Not all the scares are good. The, the I do think some of them are actually solid, which was because I was kind of getting this expecting not to like any of them, given the director and what his previous movie was. So. They work out about 50-50, which is mm-hmm. much better than I was expecting going in. Uh, I still like the two leads. I still think it's very watchable. And I do think it's a little bit long. I would I would have shaved 10-15 mm-hmm. minutes, probably, if you could have. Uh, that said, though, it, that wouldn't be an issue if it was... like if, if the script was tight, if it was two hours, then it'd be two hours and it'd be fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, horror movies tend to be a bit shorter, uh, so you really feel it when it's a weak one, but it's still going longer. It's still, like... This is not that good. It should be eighty minutes or seventy minutes even. Why is it? Why is it one hundred and twenty? This is this is mm-hmm. torture. What are you doing to me? What are you doing to me, movie movie producer people? You bastards! How dare you? Uh, with that said, I think I'm gonna agree with the six. I know that's boring. <laughs> to just give mm-hmm. the same score, but um, I I don't think it's a super bad movie. I I, I think it's still better than the spinoffs, and it's watchable. But it's definitely a fairly big step down from one and two. But I have no problem rewatching this if I'm doing like a a main conjuring rewatch because I'm never rewatching the spin off, so they they, they, they suck. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. But uh, I'm still I'll still I'm still get me to watch this uh, like I am many other horror sequels that aren't as good as the the better ones. Like I always watch Friday the Thirteenth Part Five when I'm doing the Friday the Thirteenth like series. Mm-hmm. So you know. I'll I'll do this one when I watch the. I, I would argue this is better than Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, <laughs> so that's the standard that we're going by. Mm-hmm. Better than Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, the New Blood. Yeah, that was a fail. <laughs> no, a new beginning. A new beginning. The a New, new Blood was seven. Yeah, New Blood was seven. So which which is the one with the worm that was going into people? Was that? Oh, that, that was, was the that final was chapter? Yeah, that was uh, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Oh, Jason Goes to... Yes, I should remember that because that's the only one that I've seen in a movie... No, there's two. I've seen that one in a movie theater and I saw Freddy vs. Jason in a movie theater. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's the ninth one, which is the only one, for the record, that I skip if I'm rewatching the franchise. Because mm-hmm. it's... it's uh, well, it's, it's terrible, but it's also not even really afraid of the 13th movie. It's no. a weird possession movie that's not that good. 
It has one good thing about it, and that was when I, I told the story in one of my videos, but when I saw it in movie theater, um, it was the movie that the very ending teased the Freddy versus Jason yes. because Freddy's glove comes up and grabs the Jason mask, and that's the one good thing about it. But we didn't get to see that movie come to fruition until a decade later. Yep, yep. Uh, which was in my teen years. Uh, <laughs> so I was actually too young to go to see Freddy vs. Jason in theaters, so I didn't get to go see it there. I mean, I was already watching those movies. I just you know, mm -hmm. couldn't technically go and see a movie like that in the theater. Uh, mm. For a couple of years, at least. So it is what it is. Hey-ho, that has been our first discussion on the Sacred Hockey Mask. Uh, episode 1. Hopefully it went well and people have had some enjoyment out of this. Uh, I will take this time to uh, thank our Patreon producers. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash TV and support us over there for as little as $1 per month. Uh, our producers are one of the higher tiers. Uh, so thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordenow, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Uh, you can, of course, support us for as little as $1, like I said. Uh, you get a bonus episode once a month uh, of our sci-fi movie podcast. And very soon this show, you'll get a bonus exclusive Patreon episode for $1 per month of The Sacred Hockey Mask. Uh, the first one coming lately in August. So uh, look forwards to that. Uh, but you also get early access at the $5 tier uh, and voting rates and other things. So go, go and have a look and see if you're interested. And of course, you can support everything that goes on here by simply hitting the like button and subscribing and dinging the bell for notifications and all that other YouTube jazz, uh, which really does help. Um, would you like to promote yourself a little bit? Uh, since you are, oh, yes. Since, since I snatched you from another YouTube channel, you can... <laughs> promote your your home a little bit <laughs> oh yes definitely. my home channel is called what did i just watch where i review horror sci-fi and thriller movies and i also have a podcast with crystal connor and her channel is worst myth crystal connor and our podcast is called coast to coast horror which we uh discuss horror from coast to coast and abroad and i'm on one other project it's called hood podcast where we talk about news of the strange worldwide oh there you go go check out that uh and i'll tell you to remind me to put a link to your channel in the description uh and if it's not there it's because shasha did not remind me <laughs> okay. and it'll be added at some point and once it's added it'll always be there because i just copy and paste them every time but <laughs> once it's there it'll be there uh this has been the sacred hockey mask this has been our first episode We'll be back next time with another horror movie that has been a recent or new release and by recent i just mean within the last six or so months maybe a little bit longer depending what it is uh but that's what we'll mainly be focusing on uh outside of patreon bonus episodes going forward so at least for now uh things might change and if you didn't catch the announcement from before yes when time comes back this will run alongside screams after midnight both will exist uh so you'll just get double horror content so you, you mm -hmm. have a have, have a happy time with that uh so thank you very much for joining us once again it is a pleasure keep watching scary movies and remember that hockey season ended months ago